0: Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. Simon Head from Rochester in the UK, Sandu from Toronto in Canada, and uh, we've got a decent slate of fights coming up this week. We've had a good slate of fights over the past week. We will run through all the key headlines of that. But before we get all these, uh, all this fighting talk started, Sandu, it would be remiss of me to uh, to, to begin the podcast without mentioning. The mighty Tottenham Hotspur. What the hell happened at the weekend, my friend?
1: I'm telling you, mate, one of the best days of the sporting calendar of 2020 for me personally. It's not been the greatest of times with the departure of Poch over the last year, Jose Mourinho coming in, and then obviously, you know, players going out, players coming in. But I tell you what, so far this season, I si, transfer window, happy with that. And, mate, to beat united 6-1 away. Jeez. Jeez. I was over the moon and of course of course Aston Villa had to go steal our thunder by beating Liverpool 7-2. What was that about? That was that
0: was just like you know like we like we, we all know that 2020 is just like the biggest anomaly in in global history. Like we've had we you know we've lost a load of uh, a load of legendary figures in the world over the course of 2020 we've obviously had the pandemic we've got everything that's going on with uh, with the u.s president right now um and uh even the world of sport is turning up some absolute just absolutely crazy crazy uh stories situations um and uh liverpool getting their trousers taken down seven two is 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 definitely right up there absolutely nuts um Everyone will want to know how Gillingham got on at the weekend. My beloved team, obviously, we equalised in the fourth minute of stoppage time to get a point from a game that we barely deserved. So I I was a happy man as well. Not as happy as you. You know, like if we get six goals in a month, we're happy. You got six goals in 90 minutes against Manchester United. So you must be absolutely jumping through hoops right now. But the business at hand is the business of mixed martial arts. And we have had... It's been it's been absolute like business is booming. You know, you, you barely know that we've got this pandemic going on. If you were just looking at the list of the list of events and results we've had, we had cage warriors do that little run of events in the UK. Bellator are well and truly back more of which later in the show and the UFC doing UFC things, putting on great shows and just churning out event after event after event and doing it in, in given the given the circumstances remarkable levels of consistency and safety. So all of that is going fantastically well, and long may it continue. Uh, and this weekend, we had uh, the latest serving of fights from UFC Fight Island in uh, in Abu Dhabi. And uh, it was a really interesting night, Sandy, because I think it was all about the women's bantamweight division, that main card. We had two very, very important fights for the division on that card. Holly Holm versus uh, Irene Aldana in the main event. And then uh, two fights before it, we had Jermaine Durandamy versus Juliana Pena. Um, Really interesting to see how all this pans out. Because obviously you've got Amanda Nunes is the champion. She's holding both the belt. She's got the belt at 45 and at bantamweight at 35. And she's just become a mum. And, uh, you know, congratulations to her. And, uh, you know, there and, and, and Nina Ansaroff, obviously you did a lot of the heavy lifting when it came to that. So... All the very best to them. But as a result, Amanda has been kind of out of circulation a little bit. And now it's like the women's bantamweight sweepstakes are well and and running. Who's going to be the next one to get in there and fight for the belt again? Um, Holly had the, the main event spotlight with Irene Aldana. A lot of people were very high on Aldana's chances going into this, myself included. Um, but Holly turned in. A virtuoso performance, I would say. Just a ma- just a masterclass of control. I thought the way she just completely um, outgunned, outmaneuvered, outsmarted Aldana um, to get a shutout win on the scorecards. Uh, I know you were on duty for Fight Night for BT Sport. How did you How did you rate that performance from Holly?
1: It was essentially flawless. I don't think she got a mark on her throughout the twenty five minutes. I thought she was aggressive when she needed to be and at, at one point i thought when she was in uh, in mount i thought she was going to finish Aldana, and so credit to aldona for kind of i guess surviving that onslaught but she had nothing for holly Holm. this is fantastic this is holly holly Holm's first back-to-back set of wins since her run-up to winning the championship against ronda rousey back in 2015 we spoke about this last week she's been inconsistent for the last five years And so I think this would have done her a lot of good, you know, especially to boost her confidence, to finally get, you know, a run of wins now, get a little streak going. But on top of that, to perform the way she did in the main event, that was a statement. And then, like you said, Simon, Jermaine Durandamy also made a massive statement win uh, and and a performance against Juliana Pena. I mean, if anyone thought she was just a striker, take a look at that finish. That guillotine choke, she put Juliana Pena to sleep. And of course, with Amanda Nunes now at UFC 256 defending her featherweight championship against Megan Anderson, I think it just lines up a number one contender fight between the current one and two ranked fighters at the women's bantamweight division, which is Holly Holm, Jermaine Durandamy. They just fought this past weekend. They've both come out of it unscathed, but more importantly, they've both come out this weekend looking fantastic. Everyone raved about both performances. And I think you've got to put them in the cage together now. And then the winner of that fight should go on to fight Amanda Nunes for the Women's Bantamweight Championship at some point in 2021.
0: Yeah. And for a little bit of added seasoning, a bit of added spice, that's a rematch as well. Holly Mm -hmm. and um, Jermaine fought for the inaugural Featherweight Championship. Jermaine Jermaine won that fight, not without controversy. There There was a couple of late shots after the bell, if I remember, um, and, uh, was there an eye poke controversy in that fight as well? But there was, there was a fair amount of controversy during that fight. Um, and, uh, it was a unanimous decision win for Jermaine Durand and me, the very first women's 145 pound champion never got to defend her belt. It was stripped because I think at the time she wasn't keen on facing Chris Cyborg. Um, and, uh, she got stripped of the belt and she went through a bit of a, uh, a spell of sort of negative PR. You know, like, everyone seemed to hate on her for a bit. And anybody who's dealt with her and met her knows that she's absolutely lovely. She's such a nice, warm person to talk to. To get to see her getting all that negative uh, attention was sort of flew in, in stark contrast to the person that, that, that we'd met and dealt with over the course of our, our careers covering the sport on this side of the pond. But she's well and truly back. And if you take a look at Jermaine Durandamy's record in the UFC... She's only lost to one person. She's she's lost to Amanda Nunes, but crucially, she's lost twice to Amanda Nunes. So she's lost. Um, she lost back in 2013 via via first round TKO, and then more recently, December 2019, she went all the way to the scorecards with Amanda Nunes, but it wasn't it wasn't the closest to fight. She did quite well in parts, but takedown defense let her down badly in that fight, and she ended up getting beat. Unanimous decision at UFC 245. So the question here is, putting Amanda Nunes and, sorry, sorry, um, Jermaine Durandami and Holly Holm together, is that absolutely the nailed on number one contender fight? Because you look at Holly, Holly's been in there with, um, with uh, Amanda Nunes and has been beaten and has been well beaten. So you know she got she got head kicked in the first round. She basically uh, Holly homed Holly home. She did to Holly what uh, Holly did to Ronda Rousey. Um, so it was kind of kind of weird to see that happen. That was only well, it's just a little over a year ago. It's July last year that happened. Uh, and then you got Jermaine, who's already fought Amanda twice and has lost twice. So is there somebody else you might be able to to maybe sort of finagle their way in? Or do we think that enough if enough water has gone under the bridge at this point that the winner of Holly versus Jermaine just is a, um, a slam dunk to get that title shot next?
1: I think in the short term, this is the fight that makes sense. I'm looking at the women's bantamweight division right now and Irene Aldana was the one I think everyone was hoping would get this signature win over Holly Home and then go ahead and and fight for the title, which would be a fresh matchup as well for Amanda Nunes defending that title, right? But Arena O'Dan is in her 30s as well, and I'm looking at the women's 135 rankings right now, and there aren't many names that are screaming out off the page to me like, wow, that's going to be an amazing fight for Amanda Nunes, or that's going to be competitive, or that's someone that's making noise, and I've got this incredible win streak. I just don't see anybody in that list right now that is making enough noise for me, both in terms of results, social media, um, just interviews, charisma, personality, what have you, to go and actually challenge for that bantamweight championship. So yeah, I think you have to do Durandami, Holly Holm. You've got two, two girls there that are, I guess as close to a household name as you're gonna get in mixed martial arts when it comes to the women's 135 pound division. Have history with Amanda Nunes. We we all know that that you, the UFC that ticks a massive box for them where they can do a rematch. Obviously, in the, in the for the sake of Durand, that would be a third fight against Nunes. But listen, at the end of the day, when it's a, a shallow division, and you're able to string a few wins together and finish fights, make a bit of bit of a statement in the post fight interview, that's pretty much all you need to do at this day and age uh, to try and get yourself into a situation where you can fight for the title again. So yeah, I'm all for it.
0: Yeah, I think it's it's one of those situations where you've got a, a very, very small elite group at the top of the division. Obviously, you've got Amanda, who's the who's the champion, and you've got Jermaine and Holly, and then there's a bit of a gap, and then everyone's jostling for position under that, and occasionally that pack will get the opportunity to break into the top three by facing one of those top two contenders. That's what... Um, That's what uh, we saw this weekend with Irene Aldana facing Holly. That was her opportunity. Couldn't get it done. Aspen Ladd, I suppose, is the only other person uh, right now who you could think maybe, you know, she's still very young in this sport. She's already ranked third in the UFC. She's had some injury issues. She's had some weight cut issues in the past as well. She She seems to be settling down now, though. And I think if she can build a couple of wins together, she might be the one who has the best potential to maybe move up She's got a very, very good, strong wrestling game um, that could prove could prove to be a, a tough test. But is she ready yet? I don't think so. So it really is between those two very familiar faces at the top. And uh, this is a problem that Amanda's got because she's a double champion. She's a, a, a legend of the sport at this point. But what she hasn't got is that constant stream of of contenders sort of queuing up to face her. You know, you look at some of the other divisions, where you look at like bantamweight, featherweight. You know, in 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 the men's, there is just this huge list of guys. So if it's not him, then it's him. If it's not him, then it's him. And there is this huge list, and it, you can almost perm one of uh, one of sort of five or six guys who would all be a legitimate challenger for a title. You haven't got that in the women's thirty five division. You definitely haven't got it in the women's forty five division because it barely fun it barely exists. So. Um, yeah, Jermaine Durandamy versus versus Holly Holm. I would expect we might see that um, early in 2021. That was, I think, that was the overarching story of Fight Night in um, in Abu Dhabi this weekend. Just to quickly run off the other the other main card fights: Carlos Felipe against Jorgen de Castro. Um, my picks were dreadful this weekend. Um, Carlos Felipe beat Jorgen de Castro. Um, went a distance. Heavyweight fights that go to distance. It wasn't a bad fight in the end. Normally, heavyweight fights that go to this is can be a little bit of a slog. That wasn't too wasn't too shabby. Kyler Phillips beating Cameron Els. Um, I like Cameron else I think he's he's a really good fighter. He's from the UK. He stepped in on super short notice against, unfortunately, one of the hottest rising prospects in the bantamweight division for me. I think Kyler Phillips has got everything in his game to be a future contender at 135 pounds, and he showed that. Against Cameron Else on Saturday, he did well. And Dusko Todorovic, um, getting the second round stoppage of uh, Daquan Townsend. Um, but plenty going on on that card. I mean, who who stood out for you over the course of fighting, other than those two women's bantamweight fights, Sandy?
1: For me personally, I think the other big story coming out of this past weekend was Carlos Condit finally snapping a five fight losing streak, getting his first victory inside the octagon since twenty fifteen. And he looked good. And I think this was great matchmaking, putting up, putting him up against someone who's, I guess, one of his peers in terms of age bracket and experience, um, but also a good you know test to see where Carlos Condit is at in 2020. And he looked great. It was a one-sided performance. He didn't get the finish, but he did get that decision victory. And I think that's going to do his confidence a lot of good. And now it's all about, well, how do you use Carlos Condit moving forward? And he wants to continue to fight. I think there's three potential options out there for him. The winner of Robbie Lawler versus Mike Perry, I think would be good. Matt Brown. And I know they've trying to make the Matt Brown fight a few times and it's fallen apart due to uh, Matt Brown you know, getting injured. And then the other one, and this is the one that I think um, a lot of people are interested in, is a rematch with Nick Diaz. Now, of all the options... I, I definitely like the Nick Diaz one the most, especially if he's serious about making a comeback. He hasn't fought for a very long time. Putting him up against someone like Carlos Condit now makes a lot of sense just to see where he's at. And also, I think for Carlos Condit, I think that would be a good matchmaking, high-profile fight, all the rest of it, what have you. The only issue that I see with a potential Nick Diaz versus Carlos Condit rematch in 2021... Is how the UFC books it. Where do you place that fight? And my 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 issue with it is this: if you see those two fight, you want to see a five round fight, okay? It's you know you could you could finagle a three round fight between the two of them and and slap that onto a pay per view main card. But I think Nick Diaz is such a big draw still after all these years away from the sport that he's probably going to cost the UFC a lot of money and he's probably going to demand. Uh, a back end on the pay-per-view or some sort of profit share there right so you can't put them in a five round fight on a fight night card and if you put them on a pay-per-view is it a three round is it a five round is this going to be challenging it's going to be a little bit tricky um so I, I'm, I'm curious to see and in fact if this is not just a carlos conda issue i think this is going to be a nick diaz issue how the ufc used nick diaz after all these years away who they put him up against just considering i guess what he's going to demand in terms of wages right because i think he is very self-aware of him you know what a draw he is still in the sport you put nick diaz on a pay-per-view and it's gonna it's gonna it's shift a few pay-per-view buys i'll tell you that much right now even in 2020 or 2021 so on paper yes i love the fact that that we could potentially see a Nick Diaz versus Carlos Condit rematch. How the UFC go about booking it, where they place it, I think is going to be a massive challenge for them. And let's see how it plays out. And then, of course, I think you can still do the Matt Brown fight versus Carlos Condit, which could easily be, uh, I think, a fight night um, main event in 2020 during this kind of COVID era back at the Apex in Las Vegas, or easily be, um, you know, a, a main card offering, whether it's a fight night or a pay-per-view as well.
0: Yeah. I think something that could work is if Nick and Nate were on the same card, then I think that mm. would work because Nate would probably main event over Nick at this point, um, given the the likely opponents that he would attract. So whether it be the rematch with Jorge Masvidal, whether it be, uh, dare I mention him, Conor McGregor, potentially, um, but you could have, you could have Nick in the co-main event quite, quite easily. Um, or, or two fights away so that it gives him chance to then go and help corner his brother in the main event. Maybe you put him in the main card opener. Um, then they can corner each other. Um there's ways that there's ways and means of doing this. Um but yeah, if he's on a pay-per-view card, you bet he's gonna want a little bit of the uh, a little bit of the uh, pay-per-view cheddar. So I don't know how that will work. The the most likely fight I think is the Matt Brown fight. And what you said about that being a main event for a fight night card, immediately my brain said book a legends card. It must be doable, right? At the apex, just line the pieces up in advance and you could do a four or five fight main card of just legend. Get Jim Miller on there Um, and and a few few of the other long-serving guys who've been on that UFC roster for ages. If Diego Sanchez is good to go again, get him in there. Uh, If Joe Lozon fancies coming back and having one more, Get him in there. I think he's retired at this point, but you never know. Maybe one more, he might come back for. But get get some of those legends on there. Have a legends night, um, and uh, I think that would work really nicely. And maybe the prelims, you pack it with pack it with prospects. So you have you have the you know people who are making their debuts or second second fights in the UFC. Put them on the prelims, and then have the old school guys on the main card. I think that will work, work really nicely. But the Matt Brown Carlos Condit fight for me. Seems like just a really easy piece of matchmaking. They've tried to do it before, didn't quite happen. Um, there is one more fight I wouldn't mind, um, and uh, we saw them both in the octagon together, um, and that was Carlos Condit and a certain Mister Daniel Hardy Esquire. Um, Dan was it was a nice little moment actually. Dan interviewing his former his former rival in the cage, and um, you know I was I was there. I think you were there as well when they fought in London at UFC One Twenty. One of the highlight reel knockouts, probably the biggest highlight reel finish of Carlos Condit's career, um, where they both landed huge left hooks at the same time. Only difference was Hardy was up on his toes, Condit's feet were planted, and the power, you know, the power difference meant that Condit got the KO. Now I know Hardy is itching to get back, and everything I've heard from him has been that he would more likely be competing at 55 if he did. But he also said he's also talked about the sort of fights that he would come back for. And I think Carlos Condit is the, I know Diego Sanchez has been mentioned in the past as well, but I think Carlos Condit might be the perfect matchup for Dan Hardy to come back to. From a stylistic point of view, they both like to stand and trade. There's a little bit of a backstory there because they fought before. Um, takes the pressure off Dan having to cut weight if he is a little bit more slim down uh, and has less. he's carrying a bit less muscle than he was back in his welterweight days. He might you might be up for a bit of that and uh him and Carlos seem to get on all right. It might be a nice little way for the pair of them uh to sort of get in there and uh it might be Carlos's final fight. We don't know what he's doing with his career right now whether he's looking to have multiple fights or whether he's just looking to round it out now. Uh and we don't know what Dan's going to do. So but I quite like that idea as well. Dan Hardy Carlos Condit too. Um you could do that anywhere and it would be an interesting fight. So I think everybody loves watching Carlos fight. He's one of those guys who, when he does eventually hang him up, um, yes, he he, ne- he never won a undisputed belt, but he was an interim welterweight champion, um, challenged GSP, and uh, gave him a few problems as well. He will go down as, as as for me one of the great UFC welterweights, even though he didn't have a long title reign or anything like that. Um, always enjoy watching that man fight. And a uh, word for Court McGee. And uh, I think uh, Carlos called him a savage afterwards because Condit broke his nose, broke uh, Court McGee's nose. He could smell round corners at one point during that fight. And uh, McGee basically, re- it looked like he reset his own nose mid-fight and then carried on and, uh, and 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 just kept on going. One of the toughest men to ever pull on a set of UFC gloves for a whole load of reasons. Go back and check out his career story. It is a remarkable one. But... Um, Good night of fights. I enjoyed it. There was some good stuff early on in the cold. Casey Kenny's one to watch. He looked good. Second fight of the night um, against uh, Alatang Haley. Um, and there's a rumor doing the rounds that he might be taking on Nathaniel Wood next. I don't know whether that has, um, has been uh, confirmed. But I know that that is floating around as a possible matchup. Um, so that'll be an interesting one. And uh, just to wrap up the bonuses, Sandu, Durandam, he got 50 grand unsurprisingly for her for her submission finish kyla phillips got 50 grand for his second round finish of cameron else uh dusko todorovic got 50 grand for his finish uh, kick off the main card and the first fight of the night luigi vendramini uh with probably the best finish of the night brilliant brilliant just blitzed Justin Iari. finished him in 72 seconds uh, first fight. And it's nice to see the guys early early on in the card getting some bonus money. That doesn't always happen. Quite often they get they get superseded as the night goes on. But uh, Luigi Vendramini getting a, uh, a nice bonus check to round out the night. That was UFC fight night on Fight Island, Sandu. But um, there's been plenty of sparring going on away from the cage this week.
1: There certainly has. And we're obviously talking about well, we're talking about a couple of a couple of guys, but most notably Israel Adesanya and John Jones. And unless you've been living under a rock this past week, or don't have social media, you can't have missed it. You just cannot. I mean, it's crazy the banter and shithouseery going on between John Jones and Israel Adesanya right now on Twitter. The back and forth, the jabs—like it's incredible. And just when you think it's over. One starts up again or the other other starts up again and they're in different time zones and all the rest of it. So it's crazy. Um, and honestly, it's a lot of fun. For the most part, for the most part, it's a lot of fun. They're really kind of um, adding some you know, gasoline on this fire and this rivalry that's brewing between them, which is wild to think when just a little while ago we were talking about John Jones stepping up to heavyweight. Is he going to fight Stipe? Is he going to fight Brock Lesnar or Francis Ngannou? Then we're talking about Israel Adesanya, just you know, putting on an emphatic win streak. Now um, he's undefeated, he's a champion, and he's you know slowly but surely wiping out this current crop of middleweights. But I beg the question, Simon. I think it's time we um, put pause on anything else John Jones and Israel Adesanya have got going on in their respective divisions and careers, and I think it's time to to strike while the iron is hot, as they say. I think right now, John Jones versus Israel Adesanya, let's do it at light heavyweight, doesn't need to be for a belt. Those two, headlining a pay-per-view, does well over a million buys right now. And I think you could even stoke the fires a little bit more. Dana White said that the plan was to have Conor and Khabib as the coaches of the new season of tough and obviously you know dana white and conor mcgregor have had their little back and forth in public they're they're not on the best of terms right now and it looks like that's not going to happen anymore we haven't seen tough for a while and back in the day i used to love watching the ultimate fighter for the upcoming talent and the, the pool of fighters that are trying to break into the UFC as much as the the rivalry that was always on display uh, between the two coaches. I think in 2020, heading into 2021, it's much less about the fighters coming through because I think the Contender Series does a much better job. I think we're living in a different world now. It's There's so many regional promotions and shows now that trying to get into the UFC, you know, through some other options is a lot more advantageous to you than, you know, being stuck in a house for six weeks and trying to fight through the ultimate fight, uh, tournament bracket and platform. So that isn't too appealing for me personally as a viewer, although it will still be interesting to see who, you know, ends up being on the show for me, that show now is how can we showcase a rivalry, build it up even further and then lead into a big fight. And I think right now, Having John Jones and Israel Adesanya face-to-face in close proximity for four, five, six weeks, however however they'd, they'd film it, especially with COVID and all the rest of it, I think would give a lot of material. It would definitely add more spice to what's already been going on on social media with these two, and it would just lead to a massive payday for both of them. And I think that's what it's all about, right? Make the biggest fights you possibly can. To make the most money when the timing is right and we've we've seen in the past sometimes the biggest fights just weren't made and they didn't strike while the iron was hot or they waited too long the time is right the time is right right now you have to do israel adesanya john jones and you've got to do it before john jones actually goes ahead and moves up to heavyweight so i think if he does that God knows when this fight will ever happen. That's my two cents, Simon. What do you think?
0: I think this is tricky. I I, I really do. Like when, when you started off and, and you were saying, we need to book this fight. We need to book this fight. The fight fan in me says, yeah, of course we need to book this fight. These, these two guys have a, have a very clear and public rivalry going on. They are within, within a uh, distance of each other in terms of weight. Um, it's a bookable fight. But then I look at it from a, a UFC point of view and say, okay, what does this fight do for us? Yeah, it's a big fight. So we get we we get all the benefits of putting on a big fight that people want to watch. But what what's, what's the collateral damage here? The collateral damage is one of your superstars is going to get beat, right? Either John Jones is going to uh, receive his first defeat legitimate defeat inside the octagon or your unbeaten middleweight champion is going to take a loss in a non-title fight right so from that point of view it's tricky i think in a normal in a normal case of things what you would do is you would build the rivalry if this if this had happened six months ago this would be the biggest slam dunk of slam dunks because john jones would still have the 205 pound title and the logical thing then would be for Jones and Adesanya to fight for the 205 pound belt. Because there's no way Jones is getting to 185, right? So Adesanya would have to move up. He would be challenging for a second belt. Then you've got virtually undefeated John Jones versus undefeated Israel Adesanya. There's a championship belt on the line. There's champ champ status on the line. Everything's up for grabs. It makes sense. Jones has since relinquished his belt, which puts him in a slightly tricky spot. And if you're going to do Jones versus Adesanya now, the stakes in terms of um, hierarchical stakes, if you like, are zero, zero, because there's, there's no title on the line. They're not going to invent another belt for this. At least I don't think they are. Um, so that is what makes it tricky for me. However, the saving grace here is tough. And tough tough is 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 kind of the white knight galloping over the horizon which i think makes this workable because once you've got the build up to it and it's done as part of the ultimate fighter setting and it's a fight on big espn and you you build it up i think you can i think you can do it but it is weird because you've got a situation where you had this all-conquering light heavyweight champion who has now stepped away from that division and you've got an all-conquering middleweight division who's going to have to step out of that division to the other guy, it's like you're creating an alternative reality for these two guys to fight in, which for one fight is a a hard sell. But if you do it in the context of tough, where you've got an eight to 12-week run-up of of, uh, TV shows, shoulder programming, all the rest of it, telling the story all the way through, then... The fact that it kind of sits on an island by itself doesn't matter so much. So if it's it's done through tough, then I think, yeah, do it. If it's not done through tough, I wouldn't do it until John Jones is... I don't know. Maybe Izzy needs to go go up and fight for the 205 belt first. Get that, and then Jones comes back down and fights him. That, for me, would make more sense. But um, what you said about striking while the iron is hot, tough is for me the only promotional way that they can negotiate this without it just looking through a we're just booking this for the sake of booking it fight it's a weird one because it's a fight i'd love to see i think it's a fight a lot of people would love to see but i also want it to make sense so i'm trying to fulfill my my desire to watch the fight and to see them actually fight with the fact that it needs to have it needs to have its place somewhere. It needs to make sense, and they kind of forced it to fit with the Diaz and um, Masvidal fight by doing the whole BMF thing. But that's the one you know. Once you've done that gimmick, you've kind of done it. So I don't know what I don't know what they could do other than tough, um, and I don't know what changes they'll make to tough as well because the Contender series muddies all those waters as well. If you're if you're an up and coming fighter. I'm kind of changing gears a little bit here but if you're an up and coming fighter Sandu and you want to get in the UFC you you know you're a decent prospect you've got an okay record you're on the verge of being noticed right would you rather do tough or would you rather do the contender series you do the contender series because you're one win away you go in you win what you win once and you win impressively you're in you do tough you've got to make weight probably two or three times you've got to live in a house with a load of people you don't like You've got to train with people who aren't your team, and then you're having the most important fights, arguably, of your career, without the benefit of your own team around you, and uh, you've got the chaos of everything else going on with regards to the coaches. I don't know how they would do it. Whether the people are now going to be winning opportunities on on a on a contender series card, I don't. I don't know how they're going to make it work because the contender series almost makes the way the ultimate fighter used to work, pointless. Unless they're going to do team versus team. You know, like you remember they did Black Zillions and uh, ATT or whether they do a comeback series, people who used to be in the UFC. And, uh, you know, I don't know how they're going to do it. But um, I like the idea of Jones and Adesanya as coaches. though. I think that would be dynamite television.
1: Well, Dana White said this past week, and I thought it was quite telling quote, he told the media that, this is the fight to make you know he's interested in Jones versus Adesanya and to your point on tough like I said it's not about the competition of trying to win a place in the UFC and trying to get a contract that isn't appealing to many more the and, and, and the most telling thing about the UFC is they realize that as well otherwise why would Dana White go out and say we were planning on doing Conor versus Khabib one of the most heated personal emotional rivalries in UFC history, and you're going to put them on a, on a reality TV show for X number of weeks. I think they realize that that particular show, that particular product has to be about who the coaches are. And if you can't do could be even Conor now, you could easily make a case for the second best thing in terms of trying to get casual fans, mainstream viewers who are aware of who the two personalities are, are aware of who the two fighters are, have been perhaps following some of the back and forth on social media is Israel Adesanya and John Jones. So, if that is what people, you know, yourself and other people need in terms of stakes, in terms of a build-up, that's a slam dunk. And like I said, I think that's the move. You put them on that reality TV show to get more content out of it, to get more back and forth. You know, uh, my favorite episode or season of Tough was Rampage versus Richard, what, almost 10 years ago now. They ended up headlining a pay-per-view. It was a non-title fight and it did over a million pay-per-views. And I know, different time, different era, but you tell me, you put these two on a a reality TV show for X number of weeks, put them on Tough, they fight at 205, title be damned, that's not going to do a million pay-per-view buys. I think it is, and on top of that it's on ESPN, so a lot more eyeballs than back in the day, uh, season 10 of Tough, which was on Spike in, in the US. So... I just think, you know, they've caught lightning in a bottle here. And Israel and John Jones aren't stopping. They're going literally like every single time I'm checking Twitter, there's this more coming and they're just not letting up. So let's see what happens. But but I think, me personally, I don't need a title. Just get them in there. I I feel like sometimes we as a community, we almost want everything to be so perfect. And when that, you know, becomes kind of like the um, the mathematical equation of, of what's going to give us the biggest fights, we, lo- we lose sight of what, what's most important. And it's just two guys with a rivalry, get them in there, build it up, let us know the date, let us know the time, let us know how much it's going to cost, and we'll get the popcorn and have a good time. That's what it's all about. So we'll see how this plays out, but I can't wait. I mean, if this is something that the UFC are planning to do, and Fainer White said this past week that it's a fight he's interested in, then perhaps there's some things going on behind the scenes as we speak.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I think the the one thing that that is absolutely guaranteed is if they book this fight, it will it will be in the top two or three. It'd have to be a big year for it to be third. It'd be in the top two biggest fights of the year, easily, easily. Because you, you're basically talking about a Conor Khabib fight is probably the only other fight um, that would top it. I think, right now in terms of star power. So I'd love to see it happen. Slight side question. You mentioned there about the uh, the way Tough has worked in the past and it's been about building up the prospects and as a talent finding show, basically, isn't it? It's like, okay, we'll put all these prospects in. We'll find out who the best ones are. They all go in the UFC. If that is no longer the, the, uh, the MO of the program, and we're basically building up this big fight, but obviously you still need something. There needs to be something going on. There needs to be coaches of somebody, and there needs to be a, a purpose to that. So how would you? How if if you were in charge of Tough? If someone said, "Right, Sandu, sit down, blank shit, reinvent Tough. Let's forget the whole." If 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 we take the view that if we want them as coaches, we've got jones and adesanya there on tap if we want them how would you redefine and reinvent tough because the format has has been pretty solid they've, they've made small changes to it they tried it live one year they've done team versus team they've done they, they did a season where they just brought in a load of champions um and they did a comeback season so how how would you how would you tweak and redefine it for 2020 or 2021
1: so there's a few things you could do i think again let's say let's say if you've got israel Adesanya and john jones you could almost do team jackson wink versus team c kickboxing and perhaps have some other guys in a similar weight class uh, from both of those camps and gyms vying to get a contract right so you could do that that'd be fun um and again that would just add to the overall arching rivalry between John Jones and Israel Adesanya. And we've seen John Jones take a pop at Eugene Barman as well. Um, so that'll be interesting. You could do a Legends show. You can have some guys that want to come back for one more run, see if they can still, you know, still hang and you know perhaps some guys that the UFC have let go. One thing that I actually would love to see and I think is, I don't know if this will ever happen, so this is more of a a fantasy idea for me, is having some of the best current crop of fighters on the show to fight for either a guaranteed title fight, so you're going to go through tough, and the reward is to win uh, the opportunity to fight for a UFC championship, or... The winner of tough actually wins a ufc championship and by that i mean let's say if you wanted to create a brand new division uh the ufc 165 pound division for example i know that's been kind of like everyone's dream for so many years so something like that i think you know either you get like the the top 12 guys and you've got to like then i guess play around with the um the rules a little bit because you don't want to see them in two round fights that is typical of tough. Um, and I guess you probably want to have 16 fighters so you can have quarters, semis, and all the rest of it. Um, but yeah, something like that. And that then gives me gives me some stakes. That, that gives me a reason to tune in regardless of who the coaches are, knowing that the winner's either going to fight for a title or the winner's actually going to win a championship. The championship one's probably a little bit tougher because everyone's got a belt unless the UFC actually creates a new division fighting to to find a number one contender however that could work we talked about the ufc women's 135 pound division simon and outside of randomy and holly home there isn't too much else going there apart from say someone like an aspen lad right maybe you could take i don't know the top you know the top eight um, in the top 10 uh, or just take eight and you have quarters semis and a final and you could do something else with uh, another batch of fighters but something in that ballpark is probably gonna pique my interest in terms of actually tuning in to the fights themselves outside of the drama that the coaches present how do you, what do you think of that
0: yeah i mean i was i was I was really interested to see what what you were coming up with because i i I've had a, one idea in my head and I've wanted this for years and i've I've contented myself and and i've I've relaxed myself with the fact that this probably will never happen but the thing for me that made tough really work aside from the reality tv element was the fact it was a tournament and i love tournament mma i love tournament anything right i'm a i was a i was a football journalist a soccer journalist um long before i started writing about mma and the world cup is my is my holy grail that is the ultimate sporting event you start you have the group stages you've got all the matches and then you've got the brackets as they go through all the way to the final. And um, people love that. March Madness in the States is huge. And, you know, it, it's it's big business. And I would love a way for the UFC to take tough and basically reinvent that brand. That becomes their, their Grand Prix, if you like. Um, and uh, you could do it for 165. I think that is a brilliant idea because... Doing it for 165 means it doesn't affect anything else that is already going on promotionally. You know, um, fighters who are fighting at 55 can still fight at 55. Fighters who are fighting at 70 can still fight in 70. But you put them in this tournament and you you just space it out through the year. I think that will work perfectly. And uh, the other thing, the other way of doing it is you maybe use that to really build up Some of the prospects you've got, you maybe say, right, okay, we're going to have a tournament for anybody in the UFC who's not had more than three fights in the UFC. So, anybody who's had three fights or fewer in the UFC, at whatever weight it is you're deciding to run with, you create the tournament, you stick them in, because the UFC rankings are a load of old pony anyway, right? So, why not build a new contender using your new up and coming talent through a tournament setting? Then you've got, I mean, you you know you've you've got this situation where you can you can really sort the wheat from the chaff, as they say, and then by the end of it, you've got this super prospect who's come through, beaten the best of all the other guys, and then you stick him straight in there against a top five guy or a number one contender fight, Um, and then you know you potentially you've got yourself a new star in your hands, uh, who who people have followed through, but the sixty five division thing is for me the perfect way of doing it because not only have you got the tournament setting you could put a belt at the end of it like you say um but every name in that tournament is a name everybody in that every fight will mean something every fight will resonate with uh, a reasonably sort of tenured UFC fan you know all those names are familiar faces whether they're coming down from 70 or coming up from 55 i'd love to see that i think that would be fantastic the two coaches are a, a minimum one weight class above those guys it means that there's no there's no weirdness in terms of potentially fighting each other you know those guys are a bit a bit heavier so they're they're, they're fine they're sort of ele- elevated away from all of that you've got that tournament i think that would be perfect i think that will work really well but who knows what they're gonna do but yeah i i would love to see izzy and uh and john jones i just want it to make sense as best as possible and tough, I think, is the way to do it. We talked about that for quite a bit. I'm look. I'm, tough has been kind of on the down for a bit, and Contender Series has sort of trumped it. But I'd like to see it reinvented and see it back. And uh, the UFC clearly still love it. Dana clearly still loves it. So we will see what happens with the Ultimate Fighter. Um, what else has happened this week, Sandu? Any other bits and pieces?
1: Well, we've only had. Britain's own Darren Till offered to be in Mike Perry's corner. So essentially, yeah, just a little, uh, you know, little footnote there on on the old social media, uh, Simon. So for those that haven't been keeping track, Mike Perry just had his girlfriend in his corner for his last outing. And now it seems as though he's essentially put up a spot to be in his corner for his next fight against Robbie Lawler. And it's whoever's going to basically pay the most. In comes Darren Till, who's essentially set up a GoFundMe. The goal of that GoFundMe is to, to reach £50,000. And Darren Till has essentially said that outside of his travel expenses, all that money is going to go to Mike Perry. So this is peak social media bans from mike perry and darren till but this is fun because everyone is excited everyone's excited for this fight everyone's now talking about darren till potentially being in mike perry's corner i mean you, i mean this is just this is this classic stuff right here because darren till is i guess still recovering from injury or is just now starting to get into shape and start to prepare for his next outing this is nice filler, it keeps him in the news cycle, keeps him he does a really good job on social media in general anyway, but the back and forth and the kind of I guess rivalry between him and Mike Perry has is going back a few years now. I think most of the time it's all coming from a good spot and Darren Till just wants to have a laugh. Sometimes it's hard to read Mike Perry on social media where he you know whether he's taking it as a laugh or if he's taking it a little bit too seriously. He's been also in the news for all the wrong reasons a lot in 2020. So I think this is a welcome distraction because this is all good fun. And yeah, who would have loved to see it, Simon? Who would not? you telling me you wouldn't tune in. Not just for the fight itself, but just imagine fight week, right? The interviews, the the back and forth, you know, the weigh-ins, you know, all the rest of it. Darren Till's having a bit of a laugh saying, right, you know, who wants to pay me X number of pounds to throw in the towel? And, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, as 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 much as John Jones and Israel Adesanya are going back on back and forth on social media, Mike Perry and Darren Till are doing the exact same thing, but for a completely different reason. So I don't know, Simon. You tell me. Wouldn't that be a, a fantastic story? Wouldn't it be a lot of fun? And wouldn't that be worth tuning in for?
0: You'd need to have corner cam on for the entirety of the fight. That's the first thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it it was remarkable enough that um, latori Gonzalez, who is is Mike Perry's girlfriend, uh, cornered him solo for 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 his last fight um and weirdly the fact that he didn't have all that white noise in the corner people telling him what to do and all the rest of it it kind of helped mike Perry a little bit he seemed to he seemed to respond better to that um than having people just screaming at him to to keep his hands up or circle the other way around the cage or whatever it is but um i'd yeah till in the corner would be would be brilliant that would be <laughs> That would be hilarious, and I mean, I mean, does he get a win bonus if, if 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 he wins? I mean, how does it work? I mean, you know, these 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 corner guys don't they get paid, you know, a little bit extra if they get a win? Is I don't know how how all this works, but but um, it would be, it the thing is, and <laughs> I would love to see what actually happens here because let's let's just for argument's sake say that they 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 raise enough money, right? They raise enough money. Darren Till is the number one bid, right? Would Mike Perry follow this through? Would he really? I mean, I think we all agree Mike Perry um, is an absolute lunatic, right? If anyone was going to follow it through, it would be him. But would he really? Could you imagine that? He's walking out. He's got one of his big rivals who he's been itching to fight for years and his girlfriend in the corner. Um, That would be just like... The optics of that will just be weird, um, and uh, yeah, I don't know how that will work. I think Till would actually probably do quite a good job as a corner man. Funnily enough, I think he would. I think he would be okay, and I don't think he would take the piss during the fight. I think he would be. I think he would corner him properly um, if, if if it ever got to that. Um, but I just have a feeling that for all that we're having and it is good fun I don't, know to, I don't know whether we're going to get that far I'd love to see it though it would be it would be awesome it would be really good it'd be even better if um, a former Darren Till opponent was on the other side of the cage as well an old rival or something just to add a little bit more spice to the mix I don't know I don't know who, who they could chuck in there but it would be uh, it would be it would be a lot of fun to watch if it happens
1: yeah I mean they've already raised almost three grand and the GoFundMe's, you know only been up for like an hour or two. So a story to, you know, to monitor, let's see how this develops and plays out. Bit of a smart move on Mike Perry's part, because you talked about corners taking a slice of the pie. This is his way of essentially, you know, keeping more money in his own pocket. And in fact, he's kind of spun it around where he's essentially asked someone to pay him the privilege of cornering him and getting a, you know, essentially a front row seat to to his fight. Um, so, yeah, it's just it's bizarre, it's weird, it's fun, it's crazy, and you absolutely love to see it. Uh, and I agree with you actually. I think Darren Till would have a lot of fun with this if this all if this all comes through to fruition and it all goes through. I think he'd have a lot of fun with it up until the fight itself. I think when it comes to actually the fight playing out and being a, a an actual corner person you would take that job, you know, pretty seriously. Um, because at the end of the day, you've got two guys who are trying to absolutely murder each other. So you want to try and help out your guy as much as you can. So I think from that aspect, I think you take it seriously too.
0: Yeah, definitely. I'd love to, I would just love to see that happen. And it's weird. Like we were in, um, dance Poland and, uh, Mike Perry was a guest fighter and Darren Till was the main event against Cowboy Cerrone. And, um, there was that was when there was uh, after the fight they were through the cage at each other and all the rest of it, but during 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 the week they they got on famously. There's a, there's a very funny piece of footage when um, Darren Till asked Mike Perry if he wanted to spar, and Mike Perry misunderstood the the Scouse accent and thought that he was inviting him to have a spa, like, like a treatment with him, rather than uh, get you know pulling on gloves and throwing hands in the gym. So uh, but it was. It was good, and um, you know they actually uh, they they sort of crossed paths in the hotel bar uh, that night after all those those shenanigans on fight night, and uh, it was both it, it was all very cordial. It was like we're going to fight one day, it's going to happen one day, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun when it happens. Um, but we're not going to do it in the bar, so it all was well, everything was fine. So uh, yeah, but uh, at the moment the careers are on very different different. Uh, trajectories so uh whether we where whether we ever do get to see them fight in the octagon remains to be seen um let's move things on to what's coming up this weekend and um we've got the ufc on saturday night late night shift for anybody um on my side of the pond but before that we've got fights on our time zone Saying these 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 nights are very rare when they come up and we have to embrace them when they do but this one is a historic one for a couple of reasons Bellator are putting on the very first major MMA show in Paris, France. It's a big one. The Accor Arena in Paris is going to play host to uh, Bellator Paris, um, which is it's it's a split event. The way Bellator do this, they have their European series shows and they have their numbered uh, major shows that they show in the States. And for for some of these events in Europe, they'll split them. Uh, to fulfil the different broadcasting partners they've got. And speaking of broadcast partners, they've announced a new one over here in the UK. For the first time ever, the BBC, um, UK state broadcaster, the BBC are going to show live Major League MMA fights. Um, And uh, they've done a deal with Bellator. The event is going to be shown live on BBC iPlayer, which is the major online streaming of the BBC. Um, the fight cut, all, all bar two of the fights will be live on BBC iPlayer. The exceptions being the uh, the Bellator Paris main event between Czech Congo and Tim Johnson. Right? And the co-main event between England's Saul Rogers and Arby Medzidov, uh, which uh, both of those fights are going to be live on Channel 5 in the UK and Virgin Media Sport in Ireland. But everything else... In the UK, is going to be on BBC iPlayer. Uh, and the main event of that card, Michael Venom Page taking on undefeated former Cage Warriors welterweight champion Ross Houston. That was the main event of that card. You've also got Oliver Encamp on that card. Ryan Scope uh, is on that card. And former Cage Warriors champion Mads Burnell is going to be on that card as well. Former UFC fighter, of course, as well. So... Um, card is packed with uh packed with the uh, names that are familiar to long time bellator europe uh viewers terry brazier is on that card elias boulade who is a, a star in the making he's on that card dominic woodin is on that card so there's a lot to enjoy on that fight card but sandu you you know as well as i do mma on the bbc has been a long time coming i write for the bbc right i do the ufc fight night reports for them i've been doing it for a few years now but it wasn't all that long ago. They they didn't even didn't even acknowledge the existence of the sport. They're covering it live. Uh, or sorry, they're covering it on the website now regularly. Now they've got live broadcast rights. It's a big deal.
1: It's a massive deal. And look, I work for BT Sport, who I think have year on year just they keep getting better and better when it comes to being a fantastic broadcast partner for the UFC and. Long may that relationship continue. Outside of that though, it's just so great for the industry, for the business, for the sport, especially in that UK market, to see other massive platforms get in on MMA. And what Bellator have done over the last few years, they obviously were on channel five, you know, that that was big. Then they got on Sky Sports, that was big. And now they're on the BBC. Now it's not BBC One or BBC Two, BBC Three, any of that. It's BBC iPlayer. But as long as you paid your TV license, you're going to have access to BBC iPlayer, right? And so that's a lot of homes and that's a lot of potential eyeballs. That's a lot of MMA fans that don't really need to, um, I guess, go out of their way, trying to find some dodgy channel or figure out how they can you know, watch this event. Your phone, your laptop, your your iPad, your tablet, or even your TV. Chuck it on BBC iPlayer and and watch the fights. This is a massive moment for both Bellator, for the sport of MMA, and for the BBC, because maybe this is a a seed being planted. Maybe this is just something um, that's, you know, just warming us up to what's potentially coming around the corner. We've seen the BBC get involved with MMA, particularly with the UFC, but it's always been through BBC radio. Nothing ever with regards to an actual broadcast of any of their fights live. And and of course, that was always going to be tricky because the UFC rights have always been tied up with BT Sport for all these years. So you've got to look at alternative ways of you know getting... BBC to cover you whether it's bbc.com BBC Sport or in you know the case I just mentioned BBC Radio but with Bellator the way they've kind of gone into their broadcast conversations they've kind of divvied up and you know, this is a prime example of the regards to the bulk of the show being an iPlayer and then you've got two fights on Channel 5 now that does make it a little bit I guess challenging uh, off air we spoke about this Simon you kind of you know, mentioned that Bellator's is almost like, for fans in the UK specifically, it's almost like secret cinema, isn't it? It's like, if you know, you know, you'll figure it out. You know when to switch over from BBC iPlayer to Channel 5 and all the rest of it. But I think this is good for Bellator in terms of just having so many different conversations out there and then trying to get a bit of a marketplace and maybe even a little bit of a bidding war going between the various broadcasts to see if there is one that... Want to jump all in with better i mentioned you've got channel five you've got sky sports and now you've got the bbc so it's only going to be healthy for them moving forward to see how things work out and i and if perhaps the bbc want to buy x number of events for 2021 um so yeah this is fantastic this is huge and like i said it's good for the industry it's good for the business specifically in the uk because when things like this happen there is a knock-on effect you work for bbc sport you work for bbc.com simon there might be, a, might be a phone call coming in to you at some point down the road saying, hey, Simon, we've got X number of events that are going to be in the iPlayer and we need supplementary content. We need shoulder programming. We need X, Y, and Z. I don't know if that's going to happen or not, but that's what I'm getting at. There's, for, for the industry perspective, this is this is fantastic because it means there'll be more conversations. There'll perhaps be, be more jobs or things of that nature. So yeah, this is, this is all positive and I'm loving it and uh, long may it continue.
0: Yeah, just to just to break this down for you, I've got the uh, I've got the broadcast times and the way this card is broken down is very strange, but I will run you through it just so that everybody on both sides of the Atlantic who plan on watching this show um can hopefully get a handle on this. We effectively have three cards. Okay, we've got uh the Bellator two forty eight fight card which will go live on BBC iPlayer in the UK at 4.30pm uh, UK time, which will be 11.30am Eastern Standard Time uh, over where you are. It will be live on CBS Sports Network and the Zone, and it will feature four fights. Michael Page versus Ross Houston, Oliver Enkamp versus Emmanuel Dower, Ryan Scope, Alan Omer, and Mads Bennell versus Darko Banovic. That is the first portion of the fight card. The next portion of the fight card is the Bellator Paris preliminary card, which is a six-fight prelim card, uh, which will start at 1.45 p.m. Eastern time, which will be 6.45 p.m. UK time. Then, after all of that, you've then got the two-fight Bellator Paris main card, which will be live... Oh, sorry. The Bellator Paris prelim card will be live on BBC iPlayer. So it's weird. In the UK, you're going to get your prelim fights live after the main card... After what would be considered to be main card fights. So that's kind of weird. In the States and and, uh, probably in Canada as well, you then have to... It's still on... It's also on Bellator's YouTube channel. So they're not on CBS, that portion of the card. Then... Bellator, Paris, the main fight card for them. The two fights, Chet Congo, Tim Johnson at heavyweight. Saul Rogers, Arby Medzidov at featherweight. That is going to be live stateside exclusively on Bellator's YouTube channel. It will be exclusively live on channel five in the UK and on Virgin Media Sport in Ireland. That kicks off 5 p.m. Eastern, 10 p.m. British summertime. There you go. Clear as mud. Nice and easy. So, but this is this is, like it, it's it's one of those whenever a Bellator event kicks in, you need you need to sort of you know that gif of um the guy from the hangover doing playing poker and he's got all the numbers flying around his head. Um it's like that trying to work all this stuff out. And sometimes it doesn't make a lot of sense on paper, but what it does do is cuz Bellator have got so many broadcast deals and all the rest of it and they're just serving different markets and trying to keep everything everything going and serve all their various paymasters in the way that they need to. Um it makes this a little bit tricky and sometimes you have to bounce around a lot and state and normally it's us guys in Europe who do a lot of the bouncing around trying to work all this out. Actually it's easier for the Brits because it's it's basically BBC iPlayer all the way uh from 4:30 in the afternoon until those last two fights at 10 p.m uk time whereas stateside you're going from cbs to the zone or the zone to bellator youtube channel options galore lots going on the long and short of it sandu is we've got a really uh, historic event it's the first big mma event in france um really good for that and um yeah a coup for bellator to get in ahead of the ufc and uh they're really looking to kick things up. So looking forward to seeing that MVP versus Ross Houston, uh, will be a good fight. I'm looking forward to that and, uh, to have it on, uh, two big broadcasting platforms in the UK can only be good for the sport, uh, in this part of the world. So very, very happy about that. But that's, that's part one of the night. Then it's the UFC Sandy part two.
1: Yeah. Big one this weekend, Marlon Morris versus Corey Sandhagen. That tops the bill. Pretty important fight at bantamweight. Now I think you've got you know guys like Aljamain Sterling who like, I sh- you know should be fighting for the title. Peter Yan is is the current champion. Cody Garbrandt, you know, I guess he was gonna fight. Um, who was Cody gonna fight? He just, cause he just pulled out, didn't he? Cody was he gonna, gonna fight, fight. Davison
0: Figueroa for the belt. Uh, Flyweight. Yeah.
1: He, he, why have they still got him listed in the bantamweight rankings? It's so annoying. But anyway, so. What I'm trying to say is Marlon Moraes versus Corey Sandhagen isn't a fight that I think is going to produce the next number one contender, because I personally feel like Aljamain Sterling has that on lock. It should be him fighting, but there are so much politics behind the scenes that you just don't know what's going to happen. And with Corey Sandhagen, he's coming off a loss to Aljamain Sterling. So I think if he wins, then it's a slam dunk. you got to give Aljo the fight. Where it gets a little bit tricky is if Marlon Moraes wins. Now, Marlon Moraes, he's coming off a win over Jose Aldo that a lot of people, me included, thought Jose Aldo won. He got the split decision. If he beats Corey Sandhagen, I think there could be some behind-the-scenes conversations about perhaps giving him the nudge over Aljamain to get the the shot against Pia Yan. So it's going to be interesting to see, A, how the fight plays out, but more importantly, the fallout of this particular fight. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that Aljamain Sterling is going to be Corey Sandhagen's biggest fan because as long as Sandhagen wins, you can't deny Aljamain Sterling the title fight. Then
0: no, it's an absolute travesty that that uh, Aljo hasn't fought for the belt yet. I just, I just do not understand why he hasn't been in there for the belt. I really don't. Um, you know, to see Jose Aldo in there fighting for the belt, coming off a loss, just beggars belief. Okay. I I I agree with you. I think he he did beat Marlon Moraes in my eyes. I'm not a professional judge, right? So from my from my naked eye watching it backstage at the events, I wasn't even cage side for that event. I was running the back during that 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 event in Vegas. Um, but I watched it on the screen. Um, and I I felt that Aldo had won that fight. But once it's awarded to the other guy, that's what goes in the record books, you know. And I think. I think Mariah's was given a bit of a bad, a bad really by, by the UFC there. So, um, but Aljo, Aljo really should have fought for the belt. I just hope they don't do him dirty after this fight. I really, I really do because there is, there is potential for that to happen. Cause I do think Marlon Moraes wins this fight on Saturday night. I think, um, I just think that his power may well be the difference maker on fight night. I think, uh, He's decent on the mat himself. Hagen obviously is, is 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 very very good. But I just think Marais has got that ability to finish finish fights in devastating fashion on the feet. Um, that's the main event. It's it should be a main event at 135 pounds. Let's quickly talk about the co-main event because this is this is a clash of styles. It's a clash between one of the most just shit just destructive strikers in the UFC, Edson Barboza against a guy who, when he's on form and on his game, can take you down and submit you in a blink of an eye. And that is Makwan Amir who we've covered extensively during some of his uh, earlier fights in the UFC. This is a big moment for Macwan, I think Edson Barboza, he's, he's not quite riding as high as he was, but he's still very dangerous. He's got that that name value. If Makwan can go in there, get Edson off his feet and get himself a win, then all of a sudden, he's right in there with a shout at 145 pounds, and he can consider himself a contender. This is a huge moment for him, I think.
1: Absolutely. We've been covering Macwan for a long time since he made his UFC debut, and he's a fun character, Mr. Finland, and he's coming off a win, but I think, Simon, this is going to be a tough one for him. Now, although Edson Barboza has you know, lost his last three, the cleanest loss was that knockout loss to Justin Gaethje. But after that, it was a split decision loss to Paul Felder and a split decision loss to Dan Ige. The Dan Ige one specifically, I thought Edson Barbosa won. So he's been competitive, and I think he's going to have enough in the locker to shut down Makwaname because the fight always starts on on your feet. Every round starts on your feet, so unless Amakani can really grind it out, utilize his wrestling and his submission ability, and get Edson Barboza down repetitively, I think Edson Barboza is going to have enough there to to do a bit of a sprawl, get on his feet, keep the fight you know standing, and I think if that's what happens, I think he'll uh, he'll light up MacWan and. Listen, I like McQuain a lot, and I'd love to see him, you know, have a lot of success in the UFC. I just personally think on this one, it's it's a little it's a little bit too much because Edson Barboza is still even at thirty four, he's a he's a very dangerous fighter, and I think the two split decision losses has probably angered him, and I've got a feeling he's going to make sure that he makes a statement this weekend. So, I don't really like to throw out picks, but I'm, I'm feeling really strongly about Edson Barboza winning this one, Simon. Yeah, it'll be
0: his second fight at 145 pounds. So you'd like to think he'll be more comfortable um, mm. at the weight uh, second time around as well. I'll chuck my pick out there. I've actually, I've gone out on a limb a little bit. I've picked Mac one. I've picked Mac one. Um, I just think that you look at the fights that Barboza has, because of Barboza's fighting style, he gets booked in fights that help accentuate his fighting style a lot. I think you look at his last four fights they've all been against guys whose preference is to stand. Uh Danny Ege Paul Felder, Justin Gaethje, Dan Hooker. They all predominantly stand. Uh Ege likes to mix things up. Dan Hooker is happy to mix things up. Gaethje and Felder are straight out stand-up stand-up fighters. You, you know, they 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 prefer to keep it standing for the entirety of the fight. I wonder, I just wonder at forty at £145, Mac One is at his prime weight at £145. Pounds. Um and I don't know how strong is Edson Barboza at 145? How can he how how will he cope with having the pace pushed on him from a from a from a grappling perspective? He's got to walk through the fire, has Mack won, uh, and he's probably going to have to deal with a few nasty, nasty leg kicks in the opening minute of the fight. But if he can close that gap, and he has been known to really sort of launch himself in there and and close the gap quickly, if he can get the fight to the mat, I really fancy his chances strongly. Now, I'm about to argue against myself a little bit here in, in pointing out the fact that Edson Barboza hasn't been submitted in the last five years. Tony Ferguson was the last man to, to finish him on the ground uh, via submission. And that was back at the tough finale in 2015. Um, and he's only been submitted twice in his career. However, Mac one, his his, his positional, his, his positional game. Once he's on the mat is outstanding. So I think he's got it in him to do this. I think if he's, if he's primed at the top of his game and assuming all goes well with the weight cut and everything, I think he's got a really good chance. I think he's got a really good chance. I think Edson Barboza may be there for the taking if he, he gets his game plan right on Fight Night. But um, it's he's not going to come away without a few a few bruises. That's for sure because of the way Barboza fights. But uh, I'm really looking forward to that. It's going to be a it's going to be a cracking clash of styles in the co-main event. Let's quickly run through uh, some of the other fights that, that that have stood out to us on this card. Ben Rothwell's back in action uh, against Marcin Tabura. Uh, Drikas Duplessis is making his UFC debut, Sandu. I don't know how many times you've seen him fight. He is the former, <clears throat> excuse me, he's the former KSW uh, welterweight champion. Um, he is also the former uh, EFC welterweight and middleweight champion. Uh, he's taking on Marcus Perez, who turns up for the weigh looking like the joker and um, that could be a good one, and uh, it's the Brit pack. We've got some Brits on the card. Tom Aspinall is in action. Tom Breeze is in action. Um, we've got some. We've got some decent fights going down that card. What stands out to you?
1: It's the Tom Breeze fight, Simon. Tom Breeze is fighting a newcomer, KB Buller, who's making his UFC debut. And the what the reason that kind of you know jumps out the page to me is obviously my affiliation with you know, the British MMA scene, British fighters, uh, Tom Breeze is coming off a loss, but he's always been one of those fighters. When you look at him, he looks like he's the the real deal. He's a total package. You feel like he's got everything it takes to actually put it all together and, and make a run at the very top. But with KB Buller, you've got yet again, another Indian Canadian who's making his UFC debut and I think long-term, I think the Indian market in general is going to be, um, is going to be a battleground for a lot of promotions globally. Uh, I can see one championship, the UFC, uh, even Bellator long-term, really kind of um, going for it in that market. And we have seen the UFC sign a few Indian fighters, but the one that was, I guess, most notable was another Indian Canadian in Arjun Singh Bulla. He... Now fights for one championship, but he had a run uh, in the UFC. And now we've got another Buller, KB Buller. So I'm curious to see, you know, how he, I guess, what kind of show he puts on. You know, how he um, utilizes this moment in the UFC, um, just, you know, being of, of Indian background. Even though he's, he's got a Canadian nationality, his parents are from India, his background is Indian. For, for Arjun Singh Buller, he made a few big statements. You know, he wore a turban as he kind of walked out, which in the Indian community, that that moment, that video went viral. Um, so it's these little signifiers, just representing your culture, your heritage. Um, I love to see it. We just haven't seen too many Indian fighters uh, at the very top level in the UFC. Um, so for me personally, uh, I think that's a, a really important fight, a great fight and uh, i'm interested to see how this one plays out and i'm also interested to see how fight week plays out especially with regards to KB buller
0: yeah there's there's a lot of there's a lot of interesting matchups on this card i'm i'm really intrigued by this there, there's not a, a, an abundance of huge numbers, um but there there are some really interesting ones on there tom aspinall from 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 england looks like he could be a serious threat at heavyweight if he if he works his career the right way He's back in action. Um, Yusuf Zalao, I've got a lot of time for Yusuf Zalal. Very exciting. Featherweight will be kicking off the uh, the main card against former Cage Warriors title challenger, Elia Tapuria. Uh, that'll be a good fight. And the prelim card is just packed with uh, with, with with up-and-coming prospects. Impa Kasanganai came through the, uh, the contender series. Absolute mountain of a man at 185 pounds. Looks he looks really good. He's he's just one of those where he looks solid everywhere, and uh, he's he's getting he's getting his shot in the UFC. Looking forward to seeing him. There's a potential fight of the night in the third fight uh, at Featherweight: Jika Tikatsi versus Omar Omar Morales. Tchikatsi is a really slick former kickboxer. Got great striking. Really really solid on his feet. Omar Morales is an out and out knockout artist. So I'm really looking forward to seeing those two guys go toe to toe in the the third fight of the uh, third fight of that preliminary card. But there's interesting stuff all the way down the card. Chris Dorcas, former cage fury, uh, heavyweight champion. Uh, he's getting in there with Rodrigo Nascimento on that prelim card. Loads of interesting fights on this card. Um, but I think it really is all about what happens after that main event and and who gets the shot at that bantamweight title i'd love it i'd really love it if the ufc announced uh, aljo as the top contender and basically announced his fight booking ahead of this let's just nail this down let's make it clear aljo's the next the next contender and let this fight be for the shot after that and uh, everything go nice and smoothly and you know normal course of events is nicely set We've got a nice schedule of, of title fights at Bantamweight beginning to settle themselves down because that division is absolutely stacked. The last thing we need is some sort of confusion at the top. So um but it should be it should be a, a good good night on Fight Island. Um Saturday night, October the uh wait, Saturday night, October the tenth. It'd be October the eleventh, local time in Abu Dhabi. Not a pack show, not a pack night of fights. Um that's about all we've got, Sandu.
1: Correct. And for those of you who want to continue to support the show, the best way you can do that, if you're listening on Apple, is drop a rate, drop a review. That really helps us out with the old Apple podcast algorithm. And for anyone else that's listening anywhere else, whether it's Spotify or whatever your podcatcher may be, Drop us a thumbs up a like if it's possible to leave some sort of review or rating on any system go ahead and do that but ultimately we'd love for all of you guys to support us at our Substack, stack that is thebritpack.substack.com that's thebritpack.substack.com if you want to follow the show it's at the at the Britpack mma on twitter and i am at sandu mma across all social media platforms simon you can find him at Simon Head on Twitter and at Simon Head Sport on Instagram.
0: Awesome. It
1: Yet another
0: packed edition of the <laughs> Brit Pack. It's, we always think it's going to be relatively quiet this week, but we always manage to find stuff to talk about, whether it's debating what to do next with Tuff, picking over the very confusing broadcast uh, situation with Bellator, or just talking through the fights that we've seen and the ones that we've got coming up. That's what we're here for, to... Uh, get under the skin of all this stuff and uh, keep you lot out there informed uh, as we go through this uh, this pandemic and beyond uh, covering the sport of mixed martial arts. Lots of fights coming this weekend. Uh, I think one championship might even have a show on, on Friday night as well. So uh, lots going on. One championship, Bellator, UFC. Get out there, fill the fridge, fill your boots and uh, we'll talk to you next week.